Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect years. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. Coming up on the show, we'll recap a tense victory over Adelaide. We'll talk waffle, contract news and injuries, plus preview this week's season-defining clash with Richmond. And of course, as always, we will answer your questions all throughout the show. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and I am joined this week by Mr. KK. How are you? Very happy. As you say, it's a um, season-defining weekend in, for us this year, yeah, this week. So bring it on. Possibly the most anticipated round of football in, in some time, not just with us, but Geelong play Brisbane. So one plays two, three plays four. The top eight isn't anywhere close to set yet. So there's a fair bit to play for this week. And we will certainly get into all of that in due course. But also joining us this week on the show, welcome back, Keys. How are you? Yeah, good. Another was becoming a typical ground-grinding Eagles win. So always good to have a win. And yeah, I think we get to find out a little bit about our side this weekend. The um, the one question that's been hovering us over is, you know, how good we are. Um, have we just been coasting along, just getting the wins against not so good teams, or can we really bring it out, bring it up against a uh, a genuine flag contender on the home deck? Huge weekend of footy. Massive weekend coming up indeed, which we of course will get to, but there's a little bit of business to take care of before that point. So let's get stuck into the recap from round 21. West Coast Eagles, 13-12-90, defeated Adelaide 12-8-80. It was another tense game, another grind-out game as Keys just mentioned. It was a little bit uncomfortable towards the end. But it's another victory for the Eagles. They keep pace in joint first position. A bit of tension, a bit of frustration on the board because the percentage is starting to become a factor. But for me, I think Adelaide kicked really, really well after quarter time and the Eagles were fairly wasteful, unusually so going forward. So a bit of a hard game to get a read on. But ultimately, Keys, the takeaway is that it's a victory for the Eagles and a crucial one at that. Yeah, uh, I think Adelaide played like a side who had their season on the line and you know, I think for large parts of the game, they threw everything at us. I think for for the majority of it, though, we lost the scoreboard, never really quite reflected it. I think we controlled the game for, for long periods. Uh, we didn't seem to have our usual fade-out where a side puts you know, a bunch of goals on us. Adelaide just put, kept chipping away, and we weren't ever really able, apart from that, bit of a period in the third quarter, we weren't able to really put any real space between us and, and the Crows. They just kept hanging around. I think a bit of a combination between the, the Crows sort of making the, opp- the most of their opportunities that they did get and us, uh, unusually for us, uh, we were quite inefficient inside Ford 50. I mean, it's been a stat that over the course of the year we've been one of, if not the most efficient side at 
generating scores from inside 50s. And on the weekend, I think uh, that deserted us. Like, we had a lot of good looks, but for a variety of reasons, weren't able to uh, to convert those. I think Kennedy probably was, was pretty well held by Talia. Um, and held at times was the operative word. Hmm. And another day, he may have got a few more free kicks. And on another day, he may have um, actually held on to a, a couple of more of the marks that he got his hands to in good position, but couldn't quite hold on. The other thing was our, our tackling pressure inside Ford 50 was was immense. And I think, you know, we're probably a few occasions, we're probably a little bit stiff not to get a holding the ball free kick, but it wasn't to be. Uh, and it's something for us to, to work on work on going forward because through the middle of the ground, I think our ball movement was really, really good. But it was just that last kick into 50. We just weren't quite able to uh, capitalise on those entries. Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, the Melbourne Football Club in our forward entries, which if you've listened to the pod before or if you know my thoughts on how Melbourne used the ball going forward is absolutely not a compliment. Uh, a lot of just blasting it in, not much precision as we move forward. There's a bit to unpack as we look at that forward line, which we will get to in just a minute. But KK, from where you were sitting, I know you had a, a little bit on the line with the game, a bit of a grudge match or a rivalry match in the Mr. KK household. So what did you make of Sunday's events? It's a funny old game. I I never thought we were in any danger of losing it. I agree what um, what Key said that we we generally dominated the game and on the balance of play. I think the margin probably should have been close to the sort of things we were predicting last week. I think they flooded something shocking for a lot of the game, and I think that was that caused a lot of our inefficiencies inside fifty. But having said that, when they did turn the ball over, they they seemed to burn us and score quite easily going the other way, albeit with a level of accuracy that's probably not sustainable. But it's something that we need to to watch out for as we come into finals, that you, you know the teams are going to be scouting all our games and anything we struggle with, they're going to try throwing it at us. I think, yeah, some part of our inefficiency, like we made a lot of poor decisions going inside 50 as well. And I think that can be a bit like goal-kicking yips that becomes contagious once a couple of uh, things go astray. Players start second guessing their decisions and and not 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 kicking on instinct. And I think that we saw a bit of that. But really, can't can't fault the effort across the board. I thought Yo and Shui in particular in the middle were um, just really aggressive at the contest and and were the, the driving force force through the middle. Yeah. Look, as you touched on, there was that clash in the middle was something that perhaps even drew a bit of ire on the big footy board this week. And a lot of it stemmed around the Hutchings role. Uh, Hutchings obviously coming in for Chris Marston, and he seemed to be playing more of a winger than a tagger, which was maybe not the most popular choice from a fan's perspective. Now, there are a few coaches that came out before the game and said just in the regular media duties that Hutchings was going to play the wing, but also they liked that versatility that they could flick the switch and and send a tag uh, with Hutchings should it be needed. For you, KK, is that something that you would have liked to have seen been employed during the game? Because from where I was sitting, I was just watching the crashes specifically, but really a lot of the Adelaide players coming off the back, and you mentioned how much they flooded, they were moving the ball off the back line without much resistance. And I thought it was the perfect opportunity to mid-game pull the pull the lever and adjust and say, hey, Hutchie, you go tag, you know? Yeah, my, my thoughts in general on Hutchings are that if he's not got a tagging role, then uh, question whether he's he should be in our, our best 22. And we've also spoken on the pod that I think he's better 
tagging outside of the gut, so maybe on a an outside player or in that defensive half forward sort of role. I think that one of the things, and Adelaide fans will know what I'm talking about, the, the Crouch brothers get a lot of the ball but aren't really that damaging with it. It's a common complaint they have. Matt Crouch has always reminded me a bit of a, a younger Prittis that so he gets a lot of the ball, doesn't hurt you with it, and is a bit of a liability going the other way. So and eventually, some... eventually wins a brown low, of course. Yeah, he might. He may well do. <laughs> yeah, good luck to. Him. Um, but for me, the the most damaging players for the Crows with ball in hand are Brody Smith and Wayne Miller. So I did a tiny bit of research. Uh, the Crouch brothers had, I think, seventy eight possessions between them. Matt Crouch had twenty three kicks, which is his highest for the season. Brody Smith only had 10, which is his equal third lowest for the season, and Miller had six, which is his lowest for the season. So I don't know if it was by luck or by design that we were willing to accept Crouch Brothers getting as much of the ball as they did um, because it meant that guys who were going to hurt us more were getting fewer possessions. There's only so many possessions that can go around. One guy gets a lot that takes away from someone else. So I don't know if it was by design, but that might be the reason why Hutchings wasn't employed to shut down one of them because it might have enabled someone else who was having a quiet game to get off the chain. Keys, up top you talked about Josh Kennedy and you mentioned that he was well held at occasion, physically and literally held, but very quiet game for Josh Kennedy and it's been a talking point for us at various stages throughout the year. Uh, Sometimes people have worried that maybe he's slowing down, then he bounces back with a week or two of really dominant football a little bit of a slowdown again, a bit of a bounce back. So Kennedy's been quite up and down this year. Uh, it was his first game in his illustrious career without a mark. Now, we've got this great stat here from Swamp Thing on Twitter, who you absolutely have to follow if you don't already. 239 games he's played before a game without a mark. Now, that's the second longest stretch ever to start a career. Tom Hawkins played 245 games before his first game with no mark. Kennedy, 239, right behind him. So... An uncommonly quiet game from Josh Kennedy. So for you, Keys, what do we make of Josh Kennedy's role as we go forward? Are we, are we looking at a final series where Jack Darling is very clearly the 1A target for this club and maybe any contribution from Kennedy is sort of just a nice little bonus? Or can we still rely on him to be quite a backbone for this forward line? I, I think he's, he's shifting back away from being the main guy. And, and, I, and I think I've heard a lot of the guys they talk about in the back line and they're talking about a lot with the forward line now, more of more of a, a collective effort and they're not they're not really worried about who gets the goals just as long as collectively they do. And I think that's you know, the weekend was a good illustration of that. I think, yeah, you know, Kennedy got his got his one and but Darling got three, Allen got three, Waterman got three. So I, I think it's just something that we're gonna have to get used to as as Kennedy gets older. And we start looking towards a future without him, you know, possibly after 2020 and not relying on him so much. And I think we've become a more dangerous forward line where, we, where we're less predictable. Although, that said, we did seem to go to Kennedy quite a lot, but really badly. A lot of kicks went over his head or fell short. So I think that's something they'll probably, you know, they'll, they'll continue to work on. But, yeah, he, he's... He's not the superstar anymore. He's he's a guy that plays a role, and and I think if you're going to get Kennedy in the side, you're going to get Talia or or Grimes or you know whichever side 
has their best defender, they're going to go to Kennedy because they can't afford to let him off the chain because he showed against North Melbourne. If you don't pay him the appropriate respect, you're going to get burnt. Well, while we're talking about that dynamic forward line, KK, Oscar Allen has had a pretty solid day on the weekend. I'm not going to say it was a particularly breakout or standout day, but he's wound up as the Rising Star nomination for the week. Now, this is probably one of those ones that he's got on body of work alone. You know, he's had the had the full season of exceptional play. Uh, on the weekend, he had 10 disposals. He did kick the three goals, also six tackles, which is great. He's I've said it many times. So he's relentless after the footy. You just love to see how he goes about it. Uh, so for you, what are you making of Oscar Allen's season, number one? Or what did you make of his day to start with? But then let's talk about his season because he's been given the Rising Star nod. He's played 19 games. He's kicked 19 goals. He's doing some absolutely great work in the ruck for a guy that really shouldn't be in there, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, so, so what do we make of Oscar Allen and just how good is it for him to get the reward of that Rising Star nomination? Yeah, I think it's very well-deserved. I was a bit worried with only three rounds to go that he wasn't going to get a nomination. And I know there's been a lot of quality young players this season, so it's no slight on him. But to play the role he's playing at his age and only his second season... That, that's a lot more difficult than what a lot of other second-year players are being asked to do. And he really does it with a plum. He, he's played forward, he's played back, he's spent a lot of time in the ruck. I think we could play him off a wing if we wanted to, if Nat Nui comes back, and that's probably my preference. I think just his versatility is amazing, and he just seems a really clean, smart footballer, makes good decisions, brave, takes great marks going back with the, the flight of the ball. He's just really um, complete package, and you know, I, I can't wait for him to have a long career at West Coast. I think he's going to be one of our really elite players for a number of years. Keys, we'll shift the focus to one of Adelaide's standout young players, and perhaps somebody that may have gotten the Rising Star nomination on another week or even an earlier week in the season. Darcy Fogarty's kicked five goals. Now, he is a, a quite a talented young player, and certainly one that I know that a lot of Adelaide fans are very excited about, but... For us, from an Eagles perspective, he's just the latest in a, in a long line of players who have quite recently started to kick bags against us. So Fogarty kicked his five. Uh, Majacek kicked four against us when Collingwood played here. Fritch kicked four. Newman had four off the halfback, so it's a little bit different. But we're seeing a couple of guys individually really start to get a hold of our back line and a couple of holes open up where perhaps you wouldn't have thought there would be space for it. So are you a little bit concerned about how the back line's operating at the minute just with how consistently it seems like we're getting these bags of four and five kicked against us. It's a little bit. I think, yeah, Fogarty got, he did get off the chain a touch. I think, you know, I think part of that was he was, in, I think he kicked five goals and no behinds. I don't think he kicked a point. That's right. Uh, and, you know, three or four of those shots were from from decent sort of range too. So, you know, it was probably, good. probably a couple of his shots were from places where you wouldn't be all that, all that worried that they're getting shots from, but he, you know, credit to him, he, he nailed them. I think overall that, you know, our back line was pretty, was pretty solid. I think, you know, Walker got two goals, but one of them was because Shannon Hearn had a brain fart and forgot where he was. And the other one was, you know, Walker kicked the, flung his foot at a ball with his eyes closed and it somehow managed to weave through about three players' legs and go through for a goal. So he was well held. Betts got one, so he's well held. Lynch wasn't particularly prolific. So I think overall, I think the backs did a fairly good job. But it, it does seem to be that 
you know, a lesser light seems to, to pop up. I think that's a part of sides planning around us and acknowledging that McGovern and Barras tend to, to zone off a little bit. And if you're smart, you can find a bit of spot. And if you kick the ball to that player well, they can get a look at the goal. And McGovern still had a fair few intercepts and Barras got his hands to a few as well. So it's something that they, they need to look at because they need to control it. But at the same time, we're, you know, we can, we're holding sides to 9, 10, 11 goals, which with what we've got up forward, if we can hold the oppo to, you know, to around 10 or 11 goals, we're going to win more games than we lose. Now, for me, just before we close the book on the Adelaide game, I want to give a, a quick shout-out or a little bit of praise to Willie Rioli. Fantastic game from him. 21 disposals is a new career high for him. And with Rioli, we've seen him really build into this later stage of the season. He had six disposals against Hawthorne, then nine, then 13, then 16, then 19. So he's building up. Now, he did only have 10 against Carlton, but he's bounced back with 21 and a goal this week. Seven tackles. Uh, Willie Rioli being moved further up the field. It's a great asset to have. He's dynamic as a forward, which we know, but he's really a bit of X factor in the middle as well, which I love. KK, thoughts on that? And also, before we just move away from the Adelaide game, any closing thoughts on how last round went from you? Yeah, I, I love Rioli. I loved him when we drafted him, and he's um, lived up to my expectations. And really, the, the bank of form that he's put together since he's um, come back is, is really pleasing. He's just sort of improved week on week. He's getting more involved in the game. Gives us a lot more flexibility as well. Um, he's not limited to being a small forward. So if we think about our 22 as sort of a 7-8-7 seven, seven split, um, with his ability to play through the middle, um, Cripps can often go through the middle for a bit as well. It does give us a few more options with that and maybe allows someone to allows us to play someone like Hutchings as either a midfielder or as a defensive half forward. So oh, I think Rioli's great. He's... Um, I'm glad we finally got one. The old stat, if you get a reality, you win a premiership, and it worked out for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, probably no no, uh, no closing thoughts. Me and the Crows fans are probably more upset that Port have got their spot in, in the eight, but they weren't really expecting much for the back end of the season anyway. Keys from you before we move away from the Crows game. Any parting thoughts? I, I'd like to give a little bit of credit to uh, Jake Waterman. You know, he's, he's a guy that's probably... When hanging on by, he's swatting the team by a thread, and he's, you know, the the popular choice if that no, he does make his way back. That, you know, he, he might be the one that comes out, but he's he, he's got a bit of a decent run at the last five or six weeks, and you know, I thought he had a pretty good game. His work rate up and down the ground was was really strong, and I think there was a goal in the the second quarter he kicked where he he ran a long, long way to, to get a lead on half forward chipped the ball across to I uh, I think it might have been Cripps. It was and then, and and then ran forward to get the ball again. I mean you could see he was buggered and then, but still had the composure to go back and and slot one from about 40, 45 when he was really sucking for air. Um you know he he's shined his AFL quality. I mean there's no anyone who uh questions his ability as a Idiot. Um, that's the second time you're going to have to edit me out. That one's um, well deserved. You go to town with this uh, one. But he's, you know, I, I think what what he's showing is the strength of how just how deep our forward line bats 
where he can't be guaranteed a spot in the 22 because at just about every other club, he'd be, he would be a certain starter. Just quickly on that, and we then we'll move away from the Adelaide game, but with the Waterman one, that, that goal that you touched on there, it's the second time we've seen almost that identical goal. So the game, was it the Dogs? What was the game? He had a game where he tore apart a two-minute window and kicked three goals, bang, bang, bang. Well, his first goal in that game was very similar where he's done all of the work up the wing, got the mark, sent it into Cripps, headed inside 50 and then doubled back on his lead and received the ball back and then followed up with a set shot. So it's almost like a bit of a stop play between two of the better runners in the side. And yeah, look, I'm not... Uh, I'm not innocent in this, I suppose, or I'm, I'm certainly not alone in this. I've had him as an out for the last couple of weeks, and I'm still unsure as to what I want my team selection to look like this week. But tell you what, you can't blame him. He's putting his hand up to stay in the side. He's he's really working his tail off. Shreds at waffle level, and he's he, you know he's come to the AFL uh, in a nice extended run this time, and he's and he's really making it count. So hats off to Jake Waterman. <laughs> While we're talking about waffle forwards, let's talk about Bailey Williams because this is a bloke that was drafted with pick 35 in last year's draft. He started as a forward. Now it looks like we've got a very intriguing ruck prospect on our hands and today he has re-signed with the Eagles. Uh, He will be extending his stay with the club until at least the end of 2022. 19-year-old, he's, as I said, been playing a little bit of forward and a little bit of ruck in the waffle and he's certainly been a, a standout for me when I've had an opportunity to see him play. Keys, you would have seen him play a fair bit at the Waffle and both at the at the forward line and also in the ruck. So what do you make of Bailey Williams and, and what, what do we have here as a piece looking forward? He's a he's a super talent. You know, I, I sort of I was pretty excited when going down to preseason training and seeing him. He's got a really good leap, he's got a great set of hands. Kicking and goals maybe a little bit of a knock, but it, you could tell that he was even at preseason training, he was quite raw and the a couple of practice games I watched, uh, intra-club ones, you know, he sort of struggled to work out where to be and things like that and couldn't get his hands on it. And his early waffle games, you know, that showed up as well. You know, he was playing more as a as a, uh, as a key forward out of the goal square and, you know, couldn't quite get himself to the right spots. But as the season's progressed, he's, he's grown in confidence. They've thrown him into the ruck and I think from... Once they've done that, he's really blossomed. He's at waffle level at least. He's he's a very good ruck because he can outleap most of the guys he comes up against, and he's quite for a big guy. He's, he's pretty clean below his knees. Yeah, so he's he's a brilliant talent. I don't think I think he's a he's 199 centimeters. I think so. He's probably a touch undersized to play number one ruck at AFL level. But he's got the tools to become a a really effective ruck forward, and in combination with a true number one ruck, he could he's it really could be quite something. You know, going forward, we're going to have that perennial problem because we've got so many good tools of of, of how we fit him in the side. Um, I think that, and that's for me the best aspect of him signing on for two more years is he's a guy that. He's probably going to even next year. He might we might see him a handful of times at AFL level, but he's not going to get a, a huge amount of opportunity. But the fact that he's is committed to the club till twenty twenty two just shows that yeah, perhaps he realises that and he's prepared to put the work in. And he's not going to look at doing the runner. He's he's um, going to earn his spot. 
uh, and we've got we've got that time now to keep him on the list and and develop him in the waffle in a position that we can use, and then you know in a couple of years' times we've got something really special that we can unleash on the competition. So taking a quick look at the injury report that has come out this week, there are a few headline stories which we will get to at the back end of this segment. But to start, let's just race through the list and see what we're looking at. Uh, top of the list is Jared Brander. He is out for the season with a hamstring injury. He's had, had surgery and he will be shut down for the year, unfortunately. So something to watch now coming into his third season next year and he's yet to really make an impact at AFL level seen glimpses at the waffle and they seem to have settled on him as a winger this year but we'll see where that develops into his third season so best of luck to him Luke Foley is listed as one week with the calf Fraser McInnes one week with a quad injury Brody Reak has a stress fracture two weeks Dan Venables of course out for the season with a concussion and Josh Smith listed at three weeks with a hamstring perhaps has a role to play in the back end of the season I think it would You'd have to say it'd be pretty unlikely, but maybe one for an extended bench or who knows what the situation shall be as we as we head towards the finals. So perhaps Josh Smith could be back in time to make a meaningful contribution this year. But KK, let's talk about the real headline stories from this. Number one, Liam Duggan. He's listed as a test with the ankle. Now, we will get into the changes a little later on, but for you, if he passes the fitness test and he's cleared to play AFL, is he the sort of guy you bring straight back into the side? The question is, he clear to play AFL if he passes the test? That's maybe not a given. I, I think given that he was slated to come back through the waffle and lasted about 10 minutes before re-injuring, I suspect the club will go down that route again. He's certainly in our best 22. And so without getting into changes, we are coming up against a team with a very small, fast forward line and... They're probably an outlier in terms of their forward structure compared to the other teams. So I think any sort of quality, small, mid-sized defenders that we can get into the team this week, we'd be looking to do it. Um, but I kind of suspect he might be past the test to play, but they'll want him to come through the waffle. I just, I just, I think the club have said he's coming back through the waffle. And I can also add, relayed to me from normally regular podcaster Miguel Sanchez, straight from the horse's mouth, Liam Duggan, that he's playing waffle this weekend. Miguel was at training yesterday and um, said that Liam Duggan told him that he was playing waffle this weekend. Big footy pod exclusive right there. Liam Duggan, well, it's probably not an exclusive if it's all over the internet, but shout out to Miguel. He's doing, uh, doing the Lord's work even when he's not on the pod, so that's terrific. Now, there is, of course, another piece of injury news that, we need to pull apart and unpack and examine to every little micro detail. Of course, I'm talking about Nick Natanui. The strides, we've been hearing all about them. He's back making them. So the club's happily put out in the media that he's running. Uh, he's returned to training a little bit. Now, Keys, I understand you got down to training. So tell us what you saw and tell us what you're projecting. We're a fair way away from finals, which is when the club has said he may return. Still listed as indefinite. But what's your take on the whole Nick Nat situation? Yeah, I- surprised and pleased in equal parts to see him at training yesterday. More often than not, when it's a rehab player, and particularly when it's Nat Nui, the club tend to hide those guys away a little little bit, and whatever work they do are done away from the open sessions. So I was sort of glad to see him come out. 
Um, often when they do, and I've seen that Nui come and train in the past when he was coming back from his knee, he, he sort of comes out, but doesn't always do a hell of a lot. But he did the warm-ups, did the jog, then started doing the kickings, kicking off both feet. Then when they started doing some other drills, he went off to one side of the ground and was doing some run-throughs, probably 50 metres at a time, uh, at around about half pace. Seemed to be doing those relatively comfortably. Um, and then he went back in and, and joined in some other training drills where, you know, he, he was needing to sort of move side to side a little bit and uh, not big jumps, but, you know, he was sort of getting both feet off the ground and landing and everything like that. So it was... The signs were of someone who's, you know, getting back close to proper training and getting close to side. So, I mean, it was one day, it was one training session, and you don't know how he's pulled up. But I think unless there's a setback along the way, I'm pretty confident that he'll be ready to play come finals. KK, we're three weeks out from finals. Do we see Nick Natanui playing for the Eagles again this season? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think all the noises are they they want it to happen and uh, they'll probably do the standing that newy thing whereas it'll drive Miguel up the wall but it'll just be indefinite, indefinite and then one week he'll be in and I think it'll be week one or week three of finals because hopefully we have week two off that he will play again this season. Yeah, I just say I think you know there's there's a bit of discussion about whether or not you know we're taking a risk. Or we'd be taking a risk bringing a uh, a not fully fit Nat Nui into into finals. Well, I think you know intangibles has been a word that we lock on our board thanks to to Brant College. If you want an intangible, consider a guy who, in a normal course of events, is a uh, a bit of a human wrecking ball as it is. You've got a guy who's 110 kilos with three years of pent up frustration coming into finals. That's a lot of energy coming into a side that that's already finished top four. The boost that he give us coming into finals is is huge. You, you just can't if if he's right to go, he plays. It's just not a not even a question. Quick recap of the waffle before we dive into one of the biggest AFL games in recent home and away memory. And fitting, very fitting indeed that Keyes is talking about Brant College because it was indeed Brant College and the Perth Demons that were the opponents on the slate this week. Uh, a, a lot of famous names in this Perth side. You've got a Yo, you've got, of course, Brant College. You've got a Coniglio. I mean, there's a Langdon. There's, there's AFL names all over the place in this team. And yet, the Mighty Beagles, way too good on the day, 9-17-71, awful, awful, wasteful day from the Beagles, but still good enough to do the job, versus 7-10-52. A really important win in the seri- in the scheme of finals race as well because the Beagles are now just one win behind the Demons for fifth place. They've got mu- a much stronger percentage, so really if they can just match them in the last two rounds, they should be able to play finals. And, uh, yeah, an interesting game. Look, as I said, quite wasteful, kicking just the, the 9-17, but... Tom Cole, 24 disposals. Rotham, another standout game from the box score. 24 disposals, 8 marks. Uh, Brayshaw, Mutimer, Archie all seem to have plenty of the ball. Archie kicked a goal. There's a fair bit to like individually. 
Rotham seems to be the continual standout from the waffle performers and certainly a guy that I think the club would be very willing to call on should the situation arise. Now, KK, again, we will get into the changes a little later on, but you touched on Richmond's interesting forward dynamic with a lot of mid to small sized forwards. Perhaps is Josh Rotham putting his hand up to to make a late case to play some crucial footy for the Eagles? Uh, is he is he a small defender or is he? I mean, if he was going to replace a Schofield, is it much of a change? I I don't know, and I, I confess my lack of waffle knowledge in not watching them. Um, I think I think he's going to be a reliable there, reliable depth if required. But I I don't probably see him coming in as a change. I think it's more likely based on you know, only going from the, the box score and the, the list of best players that Cole would be ahead of him if we were going to make a change in the back line this week. I think Perth also have a Mitch Brown playing for them as well if you talk about AFL names. They sure do. It's Brown with an A, but that just means he's a little bit better. He's officially one letter better. Uh, while you're talking about Tom Does Cole... Does he play the pocket? No. Well... Only the one goal from him, so obviously not an elite forward pocket like the Mitch Brown of old. Uh, speaking of Tom Cole, seven frees four. It's probably the highest individual tally that I've ever seen. So again, just some classic box score reading from me, but that jumped off the page. Now, Keys, I'll ask you this. There were three goals each from Keegan Brooksby and Nathan Vardy. Uh, Vardy, Brooksby and Williams all seem to have split time in the ruck. And it leads into a question from TY24 who asks what our ruck options are in September. Now, we've addressed Nick Nat Nui, but let's say that the Nick Nat situation maybe doesn't break the way we want it to. We're looking at we're looking at Hickey and Allen, as we have in the last couple of weeks. Do you think there's any chance that we could see Vardy or Brooksby, or even potentially Williams, I suppose, put their hand up with, with a radical late push to even crack into a, the thoughts of the match committee as we shape for finals? Oh, I think the only way any one of those guys gets a game is if... if Hickey or Oscar Allen are injured, then I would think that if it was if it was Hickey that would be injured, I think they'd go probably to Vardy, uh, simply because he's a known quantity. Uh, he's worked with those mids before, even though arguably Brooksby's perhaps ruck better in the waffle than what Vardy has. But I'd I'd say Vardy would come in for Hickey should that arise. If it was Oscar Allen. I I think they they'd be a chance to roll the dice with uh, Bailey Williams. I think they they took him to Alice Springs as an emergency for the Melbourne game, which possibly was just an experience gainer for him. But I think he certainly can't. He, he done enough to get himself into calculations for the as in discussions for a for a game in that that match. So I think they yeah. I, I think Williams would probably get the nod over. I think well, his form's been better than Vardy's in the waffle. So I think as a backup ruck, ruck he'd be uh, he'd be a chance. So as we look down the closing stretch of the waffle season, there are two games to go. As I touched on, the Beagles have currently about a six percentage point advantage over Perth. Perth have one more win than them, but the Beagles certainly have two winnable games coming up, so they are still a chance to play finals uh, if they just handle their business down the stretch. This week, good opportunity to get out and see them. They play on Friday night at 10 past 7 p.m. They're playing against East Perth in another bit of a rivalry, bit of a grudge match, uh, and that is at Leaderville Oval. So a good opportunity to get out and see the Beagles before the main event on Sunday. 
Speaking of which, let's dive into it. Round 22, the West Coast Eagles play the Richmond Tigers at the MCG, 10 past 11 on Sunday. This is the big one, and truly it is. This is one of the biggest home and away matches, and indeed one of the biggest matches in recent years. Now, we've seen the Eagles get the job done at the G. It's become quite a trend of late, actually, almost a home away from home. And this week, currently riding a five-game win streak, they're going for the all-time record for most consecutive wins at the MCG by a non-Victorian side. So in the scheme of the season, it doesn't get much bigger than this. In the scheme of interstate dominance, it doesn't get a lot bigger than this. And basically, KK, this game is going to tell us a hell of a lot about what the Eagles are going to do ladder-wise, what they're going to do late in the finals, and who they have to fear should we get to that second grand final in a row. So what are you expecting to see this Sunday? I'm just hoping it lives up to the the billing. Um, Although I wouldn't complain if we flogged the crap out of them either. But no, it's certainly a big game. It's the one you, you clear the calendar to make sure you're watching this one. Because uh, it's huge for us. If we win, um, it keeps our top two destiny in our own hands and you expect we're not going to get rolled by Hawthorne at home in the last round. Would also potentially knock Richmond out of a top four spot at the end of the year. And and that's really big for them. The Richmond at the MCG is vastly different to Richmond anywhere else. And I think if they, if they have to travel in the elimination situation outside of Victoria, I think they'll get rolled up, get rolled. So that it's it's a big plus for us if we can knock them out of that top four. They're, they're a danger side in, in the finals. They're probably the most dangerous of our flag contenders, for my mind. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to do. And having said that, season's not over for either team, whatever result on on Saturday. I, I Sunday, sorry. I, I firmly believe we can still win the flag if we're not in the top two. But it just makes it a little bit harder. Keys, before we dive into the match, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Can you recall a home and away game that has more build and has more, well, it seems from the outside, to have more direct impact on a season? We've seen in recent years some must-win final games of the year. Obviously, last year we had to beat Brisbane by a certain amount to stay in the top two. Uh, Similarly, we've played Adelaide late a couple of times in a row and had to win. I remember one derby 2015, first versus second in round 20, Fremantle versus West Coast. So there's been some big games with some big build. How does this one compare to those? Yeah, I think the the one that sort of I go back to is probably St Kilda and Geelong back in 2009, 2010, where I think it was around about round 14 or 15, and they'd both gone, up to that point, they'd both pretty much gone undefeated, I think. Yeah, that was a big game. This, this is this is big. This is you know, it's the side that the twenty thousand seven hundred premiers against the reigning premiers. Um, I think if you go back over the last three years, no one's won more games than than Richmond. If you go back over the last two years, I don't think anyone's won more games than than us. We're maybe equal with Richmond in that time, and I think the fact that. It's also a pretty rare game. It, it's what was it round eight last year since we played Richmond? I mean, we we played Collingwood five times since we last played Richmond. So, and Richmond have played Collingwood uh, probably three or four times in that period as well. So, it, it's it's sort of rather unique. You have got probably the two most dominant, two of the most dominant home and away sides of recent times, 
and they haven't really come against each other all that often. So there's a lot of intrigue about that because you don't know. I don't think anyone knows quite what to expect. Um, two significantly different styles of game. You know, Richmond have got the sort of manic pressure, handball happy, run it forward type game, and we've we've sort of like a more control kick mark team. So yeah, it, it's and I think the whoever wins this. You know, for whatever it doesn't count for anything come September, but whoever wins this sort of puts themselves as outright premiership favourite. I think it's not fatal for either side to lose, but it it a victory for whether it's Richmond or us, it, it puts them it puts the winner in a much much better position uh, come September than what they what they'd be if they lose. So yeah, huge huge game. I can't think of too many other ones off the top of my head where it's it's bigger, uh, with bigger stakes. And the fact that first versus second are also playing on the same weekend and that game's getting overshadowed by this one speaks volumes about how important it is. We will get into a little bit of first versus second chat just a little later on, a quick word on who the Eagles need to be rooting for as the season comes to an end. But obviously, primarily, take care of business and we finish no lower than second. So we've still every chance to finish as the minor premiers. KK... We talked about the Hutchings role earlier and a tagging option, tagging in the midfield, tagging off the half-forward line, slash tagging a dangerous half-back. So is there a role that you'd like Hutchie to play? There's no Cochin for Richmond. We'd expect Martin to come back in, but I would suggest that the matchup everyone's watching for there is Yo versus Martin. So let's look at Hutchie first. Who do you want him to tag, or indeed do you want him to tag? As I said, if he plays, he has to tag, and I think it's better as a half-forward tag. And you would think probably Hawley's the one that, that, that stands out as uh, their um, <clears throat> their main guy for generating forward thrusts off half-back. And I think he's probably the candidate for, for Hutchings to go to. And I think that's a that's a pretty reasonable reasonable matchup for Hutchings as well, I would have thought. I, as I don't know if, if I want to go down that route or um, if I sort of want Maston in for the extra extra run. I haven't. I wouldn't want to be in the selection committee this this week because I think there's a lot of uh, curly questions and, yeah, you'll have to put me on the spot at some point in the next 10 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Short answer, yeah, I think if Hutchings plays, then Hawley's the one he should go to. Hawley, quiet game on the weekend against Carlton, 22 disposals. He had 32 the week before, 31 before that, 28, 30. Obviously a real danger off the halfback, and he drives them very well. We've seen Hutchings play that role quite nicely against Saad, against Impey, uh, and we talked about potentially there being an option for it last week. The coaching staff didn't elect to go down that route, but perhaps that's something we'll see them explore this week. Now, Keys, the other big matchup that we talked about, and this is a true headline heavyweight matchup, it's Dustin Martin versus a guy that we've seen in the media this week, perhaps described as one of the best, if not the best player in the league, which even as an Eagles fan, I think is potentially a stretch, but it's nice to see that Elliot Yo is getting a little bit of uh, acknowledgement, you know, a little bit of fanfare about him. And this matchup, it really, des- it really needs no introduction and it deserves all the fanfare in the world. Yo versus Martin, is that what we're going to see? And if we do see it, what do you expect? I, I, I think we'll see it without quite knowing... You know how fit Martin is. I mean, he was rested last week with soreness, so you'd expect he comes back in in reasonably good condition. The possibility is, I think the last time we played Richmond, Yo had a really good game against Martin. So, I 
I'd be thinking that perhaps Hardwick might decide to to throw Martin forward a little bit. He's a he's a pretty dangerous character in the half in the forward fifty. So I suspect they might try to throw us off a little bit by moving Martin forward and and and, and hoping that uh, you know guys the, the midfield Prestia and Edwards. Uh, Lambert, those guys can get enough of the footy to to get the forward entries and and maybe have Martin expose his forward as centre. And if it means that uh, Yo follows him down, it takes one of our one of our key midfield drivers out of the game. So I think it will depend on how Richmond you utilise Martin. Uh, certainly, if he's in the centre square, I expect that Yo will be playing him pretty close attention and, and, and will do what Yo does and, and butt heads with him and, and become really physical. Um, if he pushes forward, I think you're looking probably more someone like uh, Shepard or Shepherd or perhaps Hearn uh, or even Schofield to, to take him if he pushes forward. Uh, yeah, huge matchup, two superstars. Yeah, and Yo can, he can do that thing where he can expose guys for their lack of defensive accountability and I think that's when we're talking about best midfielders I think that's the one thing that sets you apart from from the others like Fife and Dangerfield and Martin in that he's got a pretty strong defensive side to his game that I don't think the others truly have. So you're talking about the option of potentially moving Martin down forward now obviously from a Richmond perspective as a forward that is a good option we've seen him have success up there a lot he's often just way too strong for his matchup and kicks a lot of goals out of the square or as a, as a leading dangerous damaging forward but for me if they were to take him out of the center in a sort of not an admission but you know as, as a strategy as a workaround trying to get away from yo perhaps that would be a massive victory for the Eagles just looking at Richmond they rank dead last in clearances now, they're obviously still having success despite that, but dead last in clearances, they're real drivers from the middle. Prestia averages six clearances a game. Cochin is next with 5.3 clearances a game. He will not be playing. Dustin Martin is next with 4.4 clearances per game. He might be up forward now in this scenario. So you're perhaps exposing a team that doesn't get first use a lot and you're taking out one of their drivers as well. And I think, yeah, it's it's a good strategy perhaps to try and get away from that Yo Martin matchup, which Richmond might not love. But uh, it's also, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face in a way because it, it takes out one of their real prime users and, and, and prime uh, ball winners in the middle. Now, having watched Richmond play Carlton last week, I found that game just tedious and frustrating as hell because Carlton were playing right into their hands. they get it, they'd panic, they'd pressure, kick it forward, just bang it as long as they could, and Richmond very easily rebounded often not even out of the back 50. It wasn't even going that deep. They were rebounding from the wing. They were rebounding from the back of the centre square. So they're a side that, KK, you rightly identified, they, they dial up the pressure and they do really come after you. A guy like Gaff, guys like Hearn, Jetta, we, we've seen these guys have some really standout games against these frenetic pressuring teams. The Eagles tuned up Richmond last year, absolutely smashed them at home using a very ball control, methodical game style. Are you expecting them to take that to the to the next level this week is, you know, we're really going to focus on that chip mark, short kick, move the ball, keep the ball sort of game style? I think we have to. I think that's the way to, to beat Richmond. Um, but planning and execution are two different things, and that's going to be our, our biggest challenge is, is doing that in the heat of the moment. 
and it's really it's the first kick that is really the the, the key I think with Richmond is that once the ball hits a deck they swarm and if you mm. if you can get that first kick um, to a mark and, and and spread from that contest slow the game and that's really the key one and if if Gaff goes back into the sticker on the boot hook it over the shoulder kicks that he he had a bit at the start of the season and that's going to be a problem yeah it's it's the first kick and it's going to be very important on our guys like Cripps, uh, Ryan, Petricelli, Allen, whoever's pushing up the wings to to get their timing right, get their separation league guys and provide a, an outlet for our, our defence all night. Let's get into our changes because KK mentioned it a, a little while ago and Keys, I'll start with you on this one, but for what, what he touched on a moment ago and now what I'm about to repeat is I've got no bloody idea what to do with this team. It, it, it's a, an efficient team that has been working by and large, it's been working quite well. Um, I think we're all in agreement that Hutchings should be tagging if he's in the side, and yet I'm not in love with dropping him and bringing somebody like Marston back. I think Petch had a very interesting game on the weekend where he almost could have been our best on ground if he had have stuck everything that he did. But as it turned out, half the time he was butchering it, half the time he was pretty effective and getting some pressure in. So I don't know whether we drop him and bring arrested Cameron back I really don't have a feel for what we need to do here. So I'm going to put you in the deep end. I'll throw to you here, Keys. Do we drop a Schofield and try and, you know, factor in their small forward line? Do we stick with what's been working more or less for the Eagles? What changes are you going to make as we shape up for this massive, massive game on Sunday? Uh, I toy with some changes, but I think I think we're going unchanged. There's the three guys you mentioned, um, or, or three potential changes, someone in for Schofield, Basting for Hutchins and Cameron for Petricelli, I think are all changes that will get discussed. Obviously, um, but I don't think I don't think we'll make any change. I, I think Schofield uh, is a good matchup for both Lynch and Rewalt, and the way our backs operate, they don't necessarily focus on one guy for the duration of the match. So, but I think even though the weather forecast is maybe for a bit of rain and Richmond have got a lot of small forwards, uh, we need to we need to control Lynch and Rewalt, and I don't want McGovern Barras occupying their sole time nullifying those two. So I think you need Schofield to come in to at least work on, on one of those guys at any point in time, and then that allows one of McGovern or Barras to the zone off and do what they do. So the options for Schofield, I think you're looking at either Rotham or Cole. I think Rotham's a downgrade at Schofield at this stage of his career and he's I don't think he's quite mobile enough to, to warrant dropping Schofield to say if you're, you're worried about his run. And Cole had a few games where he's been exposed a bit defensively anyway. So I think uh, we're better with Schofield down back. Hudgings and Maston is a little is an interesting one. I think if you want to try and play a kick mark game, Maston's handy because he can run to spots. Even if he's not going to get the ball, he can always drag a player out to create space behind him. Well, I heard a comment from Daniel Kerr on the Coast to Coast podcast this week, which I thought was really quite good. And this is coming from Kerr, who's actually a Maston fan. He'd rather have someone guarding someone who can guard 
a person rather than someone who can guard the space. So in that instance, I think you're getting, we've at least got the option with, with Hutchins that he can tag someone. Um, and I agree with what KK said earlier. I think um, Hutchins goes to Hawley. We need to control him. He sets up so much of their their attacks off off half back. We need to limit um, the number of times he gets into the ball and the effectiveness that he has when he does get it. And Petricelli Cameron's an interesting one. I think Petricelli's probably just ahead of Cameron. They they offer similar sorts of things. Cameron's probably a bit better tackling, but I think the match committee will they'll, they'll stay fast with uh, Petricelli and and uh, pretty happy that Cameron got half a dozen or so games into him during the year and was good for his experience. But he, I think they'll sit him in the waffle and just know that if the situation arises, they can bring him in as cover for a, for an injury if that happens. But So I'm, at this point, I'm, uh, I'm no change. KK, I will put you on the spot in just a moment, but I'll quickly run through my changes. And Keys just has, has nailed the analysis there. It's all largely the same. I wrote on the board this week that, for me, Hutchings the tagger is light years ahead of Marston. But Hutchings the winger, I'd rather have Marston the winger. So I think we're all, in, by and large, in agreement with that one. So as I, in this situation, in this hypothetical of me picking the changes, therefore me picking the team, Hutchings plays, and he plays as a tagger, off Hooli, as you've all rightly identified. Uh, Schofield needs to play. I'm not fussed about the forward matchups uh, for your McGovern's or Barassas in that perhaps there's not a direct matchup for one of them, given how small Richmond run outside of Rewalt and Lynch, because those guys have shown that they can work off, you know, just a, a non-direct matchup and, and intercepting, that's their real asset. So Schofield needs to come in and do a job on, let's say, Rewalt or Lynch. Barras gets the other one. McGovern makes do with what he has to and, and intercepts. For me, I will go just the one change. I'll go Cameron in for Petricelli. Like I said, Petch was this bloody close to being best on ground. And as it turned out, probably if you took a, a straw poll amongst some of the people on Big Footy, he might have been one of the worst on ground against Adelaide. Had a really frustrating game, but for me, the thing that seals it is the weather and the pressure. I think Cameron has shown he's relentless with his chasing and his tackling, and it could be a real asset on a, on a slippery sort of slop of a game. We'll see how that breaks out. I'm, I'm not too fussed by that change, but if it were up to me, I would be making just the one. And uh, yeah, if, if Petch can correct... I said it during the game. I presume he's been this fast for all of his life, most of his life. The fact that he still overruns things so comically, it surprises me because he has to know how fast he's going and he has to know the distance it takes him to stop. So for me, the relentless chasing and tackling of Cameron on a wet day, I'll make the one change. Cameron in, Petch out. KK, for you, what are you doing on the weekend? We've got a lot of, a lot of decisions to make, so fire away. I think you guys have probably convinced me. Initially, I had a couple of changes. I had Cole coming in for Schofield to make us smaller, but... I think what you guys have said are absolutely right. And off, Richmond do have a small forward line, but they really, the strength of that is that they push up to contests on the wing and then get you the other way. They still have good marking tools that need someone to, to guard them. And I think this is this is a, a pseudo-final. So pick the team like it would be a final. And I think... Um, the experience of, of Schofield and so Cole has been exposed a few times this year. I think Schofield gets an odd there. Um, I'm agreeing with you on Cameron. I think I said that last week. I just think who do I want to rely on in a final? And I think Patch's lack of 
football experience compared to compared to some other players. Um, they, it does come out in in moments each game, and he'll learn from that. But I think I think Cameron's a guy who's going to stand up to the pressure better than Petricelli. And then then it's the Hutchins Mastin thing. And I think Richmond do have genuine candidates for Hutchings to tag. I think he can also not as good as Mastin, but he can he can lead to space. He's quite quite good at um, at being that option as well. If if he, we put him into that role, I like the fact that if he if he tags a half forward, then we can get Rioli um, and Cripps spending a bit more time around the ball on the ground, and they're both excellent defensive players. Uh, Rioli in particular is is a beast in contested situations, and it's the kind of guy that's going to make the right decisions under the heat. So I, I like that. So for me, it's just one change. Same as you, Badge, I'll have Cameron in, Petricelli out. If we make no changes, I'm fine with that. And I think with whatever we do, we're going to learn a lot from this game. Um, they'll hold us in good stead for the rest of the season. Okay, so let's get on. It's the moment of truth. We have to pick a winner, and we might as well get stuck into that now. Keys, I will start with you. It's As you've said, it's not fatal for the loser, but, God, it's a huge advantage for the winner. So what's going to happen on the weekend, and who is going to stand out for the West Coast Eagles? Yeah, I I think this is just going to be a cracker of a game. You've got two good sides, both in pretty good form. I think we learn a lot about both sides from this match, as I said earlier. Hart says, Hart says Eagles. Here is probably just swaying Richmond's way simply because I think Hardwick's probably sat back and I think he knew they were going to beat Carlton. I don't think they were too worried that, you know, they didn't need to win by a lot. They just needed to make sure they won. Uh, I think they left Martin out with a view to this game. So I'm, I'm probably tipping Richmond by, by kick. Don't like to, but I think they might just get us on, on that on their home deck. And I think on a dry day, I just about switch it. But on a wet day, I think they it probably just gives them that little bit of an edge, given their game style. KK, your thoughts on how the weekend plays out? Yeah, my head goes with Richmond in a very close one as well. I think I think the pressure they'll they'll bring and the conditions will help that. And I think it might just they force errors and. I think in the, when all said and done, it might be one error too many that costs us the game, but it'll be close. So I'll say Richmond by nine points. The other thing we haven't talked about that concerns me is the actual start time for this game, that traditionally we don't do that well on the early starts. Um, obviously, for, for the Perth guys, it's an 11 o'clock bounce down for this game. So that that's a bit of a concern, another thing to tip it in Richmond's favour. So I don't think I don't think it's fatal for us. Um, on the season, but I think they might get us today if we play them again at the MCG in the finals. So I have no reason to think whatever the result is on Sunday that we can't turn it around. Um, and best player, I'm thinking, I think Rioli will continue the, the form he's shown from the last week and be, be a big presence around the stoppage and he should suit the conditions and the type of game that Richmond are going to bring. Kay's the best player from you? Wet weather, big game. MCG, Normie, to be best our best player. I think Chewy, Chewy will lead the way. Love it. I love it. From me, you guys have been talking about tipping with the head versus the heart. Head says West Coast, heart says West Coast. 
we are going to win this game. Richmond have not been particularly tested lately in terms of the caliber of opponents. Now, there's been some games where they've run perhaps a little closer than they would have otherwise liked, but you know, Carlton really played into their hands last week, for example, and that game was still quite close. Now, Richmond, maybe we're not playing the full 100% finals atmosphere, finals mode game, but just looking at how we've matched up with Richmond lately, last year we absolutely smashed them at home. Now, admittedly, it's at home and they don't travel well, but we did absolutely flog them. It was the coming out party for Jack Darling. It was his statement game of his career. And that was the one where, yep, from that point on, everybody was saying, hey, this is the best forward in the competition at the moment. So um, for me, I think Jack Darling's going to have a big game. But last time we went to the G, 2017, uh, Richmond did a little something that year called winning the premiership. We lost to them by 11 points. We kicked eight goals, 17. So that's a very winnable game if you just look at the box score. We've beaten them at the G in 2015. We're obviously quite a good side. Richmond, a little bit of a different side then as well. But it's not like Richmond at the G has historically been an absolute death sentence for us. I think our game style matches up beautifully with theirs. You've all rightly identified it. It is that, it's that first kick. Once the ball hits the deck, yeah, panic stations, and it really does factor into Richmond's hands. I'm not loving the weather. I'm not loving the forecast. But if we can just keep the ball pretty cleanly and move it, slow it down, I think genuinely you're looking at at a West Coast Eagles statement victory. And that's not just me tipping with my heart. I firmly believe that and I am sticking with it. So I'm going to say the Eagles are going to win by 17 points. That will do it from us this week. Just a quick word before we finish up in terms of who you should be supporting and all the ladder permutations, the hypotheticals. Having run a ladder predictor... It seems our best option is for Geelong to beat Brisbane this week. Now, that allows us to potentially lose to Richmond, yet still come second. Basically, there's the interesting Richmond situation where they play Brisbane in round 23, but they might be better served finishing fourth, or at least finishing in the same bracket as Geelong, so as to get a home final from third or fourth. But if Collingwood keep winning, our rooting interests are we want Geelong to keep winning, we want Collingwood to keep winning, Because if those things happen, Richmond will not be able to tank and then we will be either second or third on percentage. And at the moment, we've got a bit of a percentage buffer on Richmond. So basically, the one scenario in which we can lose to Richmond yet still come second is for Geelong and Collingwood to keep winning. So keep an eye on that as we shape for what is one of the biggest weekends of football in recent memory. But Keys, it's been a bumper episode. It's going to be a bumper week of footy. Cannot wait. Thanks for breaking it down with us. Thanks for coming on the pod. Nah, been good. Looking forward to the weekend. KK, a massive game coming up. It was a massive podcast. We've dragged on a little bit, but I think that's fair enough given what we've had to talk about this week. Thank you for coming on and talking all things Eagles. No worries. Yeah, it's a, it's a big week. I think I say it every week. It's why you follow footy is for weeks like this. Absolutely. And no matter what happens, we will be back this time next week to unpack a glorious West Coast Eagles victory or potentially a frustrating loss but uh, more likely a glorious West Coast Eagles victory and analyse everything all of the fallout everything that it means for our finals and indeed back-to-back push so we will talk to you next week if you have any questions feel free to send them through and as usual we'll answer them throughout the show Uh, if you have any feedback any comments or indeed hey maybe if you want to give us a rating on iTunes it's been a while since I've begged for a rating so if you're listening to us on iTunes jump on there give us a review it uh, goes a long way so Thank you for that. Thanks as always for listening. We will speak to you this time next week. All the best for round 22. Bye now. Bye. Up the bloody coasters.